Hi, everyone. My name is Ariana Ramick. I'm a comedian and writer, and you're listening to Hey, What's Up? It worked. For the last few months, we um, we haven't been able to get the Zoom guests to hear the music and the sound effects. So I was like, trust me, it's playing, and they'll see me bobbing my head. But I saw your head shake, so it, it looks like that worked. Yeah, I know. Look at us, one take wonders over here. <laughs> Travis, the, the wonder producer, made it work. Uh, it's been a- Hey, Travis. It's been a feat for months because we have sound effects and everything through this podcast. And I'm always like, just just play along. I mean, I know you're you're a comedian, not an actor, but trust me, it's it'll work. <laughs> I uh, I am so glad to have you on. Um, you are one of, I think, Seattle's like biggest comedians right now. And, and, oh. <laughs> and um, that's the statement I'm going to make. I, mean, I love I'll, that. I'll take it. I mean, yeah. so I I'm, I just I've been. Yeah. I've been, I grew up, I, li- I started comedy in Seattle when people like Brian Moot, I don't know if you know who he is, and, and Andrew Slater and Jeff Dye, all these people that are like, so uh, Andrew Slater was just on James Corden, he did Conan on his last years, so he's pretty big. Um, yeah, Jeff Dye, Andrew's very funny. Jeff Dye obviously was on Last Comic Standing, and Brian Moot, he's like a, he's a radio DJ down like Atlanta or Texas, one of those, one of those southern oh, places. Nice. Yeah, I I've just I've been trying to get this running joke going where I tell everyone that I'm Seattle's number one comic, whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just run with that. I mean, it's basically when I see shows uh, from my friends in Seattle, it's either you, Naren Van, or Jose Bolanos. It's one of those three that's headlining a show. So I mean, I feel like you're you're definitely you're definitely up there. Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny, like so much about like doing comedy is actually about perception and stuff. And like sometimes I'll post my shows, sometimes I won't. And then people are like, well, you're doing all these shows. And I'm like, well, I've been doing them. I just really haven't been promoting. All of them. <laughs> so it's funny. But yeah, it's been good that things are picking back up after the pandemic because it was kind of rough for a little while with stuff. So yeah, definitely like February was crazy for me. So it's been fun. Had, did you do any of the Zoom shows during the during the pandemic? Yeah, I did like two or three of them. And yeah, you're already laughing because right. it's like, yeah. I don't know. They're, they like the people who produced them did a great job. And most of the people who like joined and participated would like, you know, keep their mics on to laugh and stuff. So it wasn't like completely terrible, but it just didn't give me what live comedy does and mm-hmm. live performance performance does and that's why I love stand-up and so it was just kind of you know it didn't really do much for me but I'm glad that people put them on and we're trying to like you know keep their craft up and stuff but I don't I don't think I'll ever do one ever again they're so nerve-wracking it's like it's like you're in a, like a, a book reading zoom because like you get no yeah, immediate response it, it's not for me it's because your timing's different yeah. too because you know people could have a lag yeah. there's you you don't see all the faces. There's just so many variables that's that make it uncomfortable. 
Well, yeah. And I'm sure like you understand this too. It's like when you're like watching a Netflix special or HBO, whatever you're watching a comedy special on, like I will sit there and think it's the funniest thing in the world, but I will not laugh because Mm -hmm. I'm not in a room full of people. I'm just by myself, you know? So you could be the funniest person on zoom and it will still be like playing to crickets, you know? (laughs) So it's just a different kind of beast. For sure. Um, For those that that don't know, when did you start doing stand-up comedy? What you remember what year it was? It was 2015. It was like a week or two after I turned 21. And I had told myself that as soon as I turned 21, I was gonna try stand-up. Like I made that promise to myself. And I was kind of lost in my life. I graduated college at like a few weeks shy of turning 21. And I just didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I ended up hating most of my major and uh, just was like, all right, this is life. And then I tried stand up and I was like, yeah, I think this is <laughs> the thing I want to do. So, yeah, it seems like forever ago now. And where was where was the first place you, you did comedy at? Oh, this is an embarrassing story. So <laughs> I don't—I have told this once before, but like I, I, I try not to tell other comics this because it's actually mortifying. Um, but the first time I did stand up was at an NBC audition. They do this like tour where they, where they come to different cities and um, there were people there who had been doing it for like 25 years and like some people who were doing it for a year and you basically do a minute long audition um, in front of these like NBC folks. And um, I was like, I, cause I always need a push to do something. I, I need to be under an extreme amount of pressure or else I just won't do something. And so I go to this audition and I prepared for weeks, like <laughs> for one minute, I was like, I'm going <laughs> to crush like well I'll do it I was so nervous I was like just struggling and I got a few laughs and one of the jokes I still you know use for a really long time um but that was the first time and I remember being in line and there was this guy next to me and we're still friends now but he was like yeah how long have you been doing stand-up and I was like oh you know like six months (laughs) totally lied like totally lied because I was like oh my god this is like why am I here but I just needed to do it so yeah and then I did that same audition a couple years later and got a call back so it kind of felt like at least I'm making progress in my in my comedy life (laughs) but yeah that was the first time not a good look (laughs) one minute in front of produce I mean and those audition shows are horrible because uh I did um, America's Got Talent back in season four so it's just I don't know how it was for the NBC ones but for me it was just me and three producers that were like 50 feet away Yeah. I mean, you know, I will give them credit and say that they had other comics in the room. So you were brought in with like, I think like 10 to 15 other comics, if I remember correctly. And they did encourage people to like laugh and support each other and stuff. Mm -hmm. But you know what it's like performing for other comics? Like, we're just not like that. Like (laughs) someone would really, really have to make me laugh and it have to be a joke that I maybe haven't heard before. Um, to to really get that reaction so yeah it was definitely nerve-wracking both you know, times and you know those always comics too that are like if i laugh she might get the she might get the the part and not me oh yeah, yeah so i'm not gonna sure. i'm not gonna yeah laugh. she could be the funniest person but i'm yeah. just gonna sit here and totally yeah stone cold <laughs> yeah so since 2015 i mean 
Uh, did you travel much during the pandemic for comedy or was it mainly just the places in Seattle that were still open? No, I didn't. I didn't go anywhere. I went, um, I guess, like maybe two years in <laughs> or like a year into the pandemic. I went to uh, Madison and Chicago to do some shows and a festival. So that was really fun. Chicago to me is like the best comedy city in the entire world. Um, and so I love going over there. It was my second time over there. And I got to really be there for like a long time and see friends and and do that whole thing. And just like the Midwest, like even Madison, like they had great audiences. It was just incredible. So yeah, mostly stayed in Seattle, except with the like exception of those two places. And I always find it hard, even still being in Boise, like Seattle, you know, you have Portland four hours south, you have Spokane four hours east, but it's not like a Chicago or a New York or an LA where you have all these other cities within driving distance. Um, does yeah. that make it tough for you still being in Seattle, trying to do a lot more comedy on the road? Yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been kind of having this internal debate of where to move and kind of figure out, you know, what city I want to start over in, because it is like, you know, one of those things where it's like, you can only get to a certain level in some cities before you really need it kind of uh call it quits there and either try to make that your home base and really be gone almost every single weekend of the month or move to a city where there's other you know creative stuff going on or just more shows or more people that you can meet in the industry so yeah it's a little bit tough i think i've definitely uh done all i'm gonna do in seattle for the most part like in terms of like growing and and you know building my material and stuff um so i hope that i'll move soon but it's also like a tough call because like you know everyone's like oh like New York or LA but those cities also have big downsides to doing comedy in them because they're just so saturated with shows For so sure. it is tougher to get booked on cooler shows were you because I again I moved out of the Seattle area in 2007 so my timelines probably all messed up was the 206 and those those late night shows were those around when you started comedy or hard that was been over at that point? I don't think so. I think those are over, were over at that point. Um, I think it was like the nest, which used to be called the comedy womb. Jai Tai was really big when I started, they used to have, um, more mics like the deli one and uh you know obviously comedy underground which has since shut down mm -hmm. and stuff so it's kind of a completely different environment even from when i started not to mention like 2007 or so but yeah <laughs> well because so uh are you a seattle native or are you a transplant so I'm born and raised here. I'm the only person in my family. My family's originally from Bosnia, but I was born a year after they got here. So yeah, Kirkland, baby. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're Bosnian? Two of my coworkers are Bosnian. They're going to love this episode. Oh, really? Yeah, they oh, go back oh to God. Bosnia every year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a shout out to Shavala and Layla. Oh, hi, Shavala and Layla. Oh, I hope you guys are listening. Thing. they're probably not <laughs> but this is awesome I'm, i'll make sure to listen to this next week that's awesome yeah watch um, me watch me do them where do you work i i work i work at the jc penny in boise idaho hell yeah i love that i'm about to go to jc penny next time i'm there and say hi to them <laughs> oh they would they would love that she made i don't know what it's called it's a, like a bosnian like almost like a pie type thing yeah, maybe burek or sirnica or something like that. It sounded like one of those, and it tasted yeah. delicious. 
Was it uh, the meat-filled one or was it the cheese-filled one? The meat-filled one. Okay, yeah, it was definitely burek then. Okay. Yeah. Delicious. Oh, yeah. yeah, you're gonna have to come back to Boise now, like soon. It's. Yeah. <laughs> so it's over there. I'm like, I could probably swing it to like book maybe a, a small room or something, but it's nerve-wracking to perform for your own people. Like, I just don't enjoy doing that. <laughs> So. And see, I'm adopted, so I wouldn't know. Every time there's an Asian, and like the one, because you know it's Idaho. Whenever I see the one Asian in the audience, yeah. I'm like, this is this is not gonna go well. This is not gonna go well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's just kind of one of those things where I don't know. It's just kind of you know they say comedy is funny if people have the context for it, but sometimes I feel like your own people have like too much context for it, and it's like you know they just start have more of a critical eye or something so yeah it's interesting um you're also there's no segues in this podcast as you've probably listened to um you're also a, a, a writer as well correct <laughs> so you you write on the side or yeah. is that kind of the full-time thing with comedy uh yeah no so that's uh that's on the side i run my own satire blog uh that's focused on uh diaspora and immigrants and you know doing satire for that audience and then i submit to other satire sites as well and i've written like personal essays and and things like that too but most of it has been satirical writing so do you see yourself maybe moving to new york and doing like the saturday night live route since you have that that writer side of you or even a second city? Yeah. yeah, I do. So, I mean, part of the reason, actually, most of the reason I started stand up was because I wanted to perform what I was writing. And I always wanted to be a writer when I was a kid. I always dreamt of publishing a book or becoming a journalist or something like that. Um, and so I do like the writing aspect of things. And it feels like, you know, extra special to perform what you write. And I, you know, been more and more writing sketches and stuff. So that would be awesome. I don't know um, how well I would do in an SNL machine especially mm -hmm. since a lot of their stuff is like character based or you know impressions or things like that but a writing room or writing sketches would be amazing and definitely something that I'm interested in it's just you know it's a, a completely different path in some ways I'm sure you and Kate McKinnon could write some Bosnian sister type sketch and <laughs> make it work. Yeah, me and Kate McKinnon, I'm, I'm telling you right now, we'd be besties. Yeah, I, I think she'd love me for sure. <laughs> or or Chloe Feynman, like she's she's been taking off on Saturday Night Live the last few years as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's some good, there's actually some really good uh, cast members, which is awesome. Um, and I got to open for Chris Red, and he was just like, the nicest guy and uh yeah it so it's cool to see like people still stay humble and and do that because i think that's like the peak for a lot of people is like being on snl and mm -hmm. he was just the most humble guy so yeah. did he give you keenan thompson's phone number <laughs> no unfortunately but oh my god yeah i love keenan thompson that's another person just phenomenal travis speaking of keenan thompson he was on all that were you an all that kid? Did you watch all that growing up? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, Travis doesn't remember all that. That was where he started, right? Yes. Okay, I think I remember. Okay. That sounds familiar. How old is Travis? <laughs> I'm 20, 23, about to be 24, but 
Okay, you just missed the. Uh, yeah, I barely, you just like, missed the. I think I remember like reruns of all that being on, but it wasn't like a thing. Okay. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he, he remembers the Amanda yeah. show, and the Amanda show was a spinoff of all that. And so I feel like yeah. if he knew that, he should know both, because I have, I have somebody from all that coming on next week. Um, so I was trying to let him oh know. Oh, my God. I, who's coming on? Can you do a spoiler, or is it going to – do they have to wait? God. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, and I'll let the audience know. So it's Lisa Foyles. She was on the second generation oh. – yeah. So she was the redhead. Awesome. So yeah, it, I'm so excited for that one. So that's that should be fun. That's going to be so cool because that I mean, that really kind of was SNL for kids and it was kind of a revelation mm-hmm. when I was growing up because it was one of those things like it, you know, for me like Amanda Bynes was my idol because I was like, "Oh my god, this like hilarious kid." on TV, just like killing it. And it was like, when else would you have seen that? Like there were some comedic roles for, for, for women and girls and stuff. But a lot of it was like, oh, I'm like this quirky, like, you know, kind of girl next door kind of thing, which is like, you know, fine. Um, but seeing people like be so loose comedically, especially as kids and like really acting and, and being satirical, that was for that time, that was like, whoa. For sure. And that's what, so the 206 was a, was a spinoff of almost live that was on NBC's at night. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause I, I was, I heard rumblings that some of the guys in Seattle were, were trying to still get another sketch show um, on NBC. Do you know if that's still going on? Have you been any part of that? I don't know. I haven't heard anything. I would love to do something like that but it's uh I haven't heard anything and I don't think I would be a, a person in the know on, on that but I think that I think that Seattle is missing like something like that like a sketch show or something um because it is pretty stand-up heavy there are some improv shows like Jet City and stuff but we don't really have like a show on at late night anymore so all right King Five because I know all of King Five is listening to this podcast yeah <laughs> I need to get Miss Ramek here on her own sketch show, eleven eleven thirty yeah. on Saturdays. Because I know, there you go tell him. Because I know, like Corey Michaelis and uh, and Andrew Rivers, they sometimes go on. What is it? Good Day Northwest on Channel Five, or yeah, I think like the the morning or early afternoon show or whatever it is. Yeah. Have you ever have you ever booked booked that gig? I feel like there's a lot of comedians that go through that show. Have you have you? I- yeah, I haven't. I, I I think I have a few friends who have like done, you know, like a small thing or like a little interview or something, but I, I don't know. I feel like stand up in the daytime is so awkward, <laughs> but you know, kudos to anyone who does that. I'm going to, I'm going to email all like the Drew Barrymore show, Kelly Clarkson. I'm just going to send them your resume. Yeah. So you have to do it then. Cause it'll be, yeah. I- Oh, I would for sure do the Kelly Clarkson show. If she lets me sing with her, then I'm in. <laughs> oh, do you sing as well? No, but I just like to. <laughs> that was that was my first dream as a kid. Like if I could sing, there's no way I would be doing comedy. 110%. Like, I would just run with the sing. Yeah. Same. Yeah. My friend made a comment once they were like, we went to this mic and there just happened to be like a bunch of musical comedians there. And she turns to me and she's like, 
if I could sing, like I would not do comedy because <laughs> like, it's like so unfair. Like you already have this one talent, like, right? Just do that and leave room for the rest of us who like I do comedy because I can't do anything else, you know. <laughs> so is it funny yeah. though? Do you ever talk to musicians that were like, "Oh, I wish I could be a comedian," and you're like, "You're already more talented oh. than me. Shut up." Yeah. Well, half of comedy is just the mystique of it and people being like, I could never do what you do or like, that's so scary. And it's like, it's really not because you have so much control up there uh, more than people think. Um, but I, you know, I think it scares people because it's like, you're kind of like a lone wolf up there in a lot of ways. Um, and I think a lot of people just have stage fright and, and hate talking to people. So, yeah. And that's why they all do the Zoom shows, because then they don't have to see anybody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I know you kind of mentioned you're, you're having that debate on on where you'd want to move for a fresh start. Does that ever worry mm-hmm. you? Because I've moved. So I did. I started comedy at 18 in Seattle, moved to Spokane, did comedy there for 10 years, and then moved to Boise. So that's, you know, two different locations having to... Because they don't know who you are, especially when I was 18. Yeah. It was MySpace. You know, there was no social media, so there was no way that for them to know what I did. Right. Does that worry you yeah. at all that, you, that you've worked so hard to get where you're at in Seattle that you don't want to start back, you know, at yeah. the host level in Chicago or L.A.? Yeah, I mean, it would it would suck for sure um there's no getting around that um but I think there's like almost this like almost like masochistic thing that we do with comedy where it's kind of like you you want the hustle of it and I think that part of the reward of starting over in a new city is just being able to observe other comics and kind of have to work your way through the rank because if you're funny like things will Mm -hmm. start happening for you hopefully like there is obviously more to it than that but like even here the only way that I got both shows oh that other show you know and that's how you kind of make friends in cities too and so as long as you're you know focusing on being funny like all that other stuff will fall to the wayside. So like, yeah, it's scary for sure, but I don't think it would, you know, you're going to have to do it eventually. Mm-hmm, so right. um, it's just one of the things you got to roll with the punches. And do you think you're more, for those that haven't seen your, your standup, are you more of a, a New York kind of a rapid fire comic or more LA kind of laid back storyteller vibe? <sighs> I'm not, I, I, you know, I've been trying to do more storytelling as in kind of the last year or two. Um, I, I still don't fully think I found my voice, to be honest. And I think that that takes a long time, even after doing it for what feels like a long time. Um, but I think I have kind of a weird mix of stuff. There's some things that feel like one-liners to me. That's, there's some things that feel like stories, um, a lot of elaborate hypotheticals and some <laughs> Um, so I don't know. I don't, I think that like, I, maybe I'm like the in-between, maybe I'm the Chicago or the Austin or something, you know, kind of, kind of vibe. But, Mm -hmm. um, I think if I were to move to a city, it'd probably be LA just because I cannot handle the cold. I'm from Seattle. Like this (laughs) is mild weather out here. So yeah, that's fair. Uh, we always have, so, uh, we started this venture about, uh, a little more than a year ago now, 
And when we first started, Travis, yeah. the producer, was well, that's pretty much what he did. He was the the man behind mm-hmm. the scenes. Like if you were in studio, you can't even see his face behind these monitors. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then as the weeks got on, um, you know, I let him. Uh, I didn't let him. He he started asking some questions. So now every week uh, we let Travis ask a few questions, and I mean he's been he's a lot funnier than me now. So he's 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 taking yeah. what I do and just <laughs> it, he's. He's, he yeah, makes me he's, look bad. He's the, he's the Andy Richter to your Conan. That yeah, is, I'm going to start showing up at open mics and just doing Derek, Jared's jokes better than yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just do his same jokes about being adopted and, and Asian. That'll work well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't see me, but I'm a white guy with long hair, so I don't know if they'd uh, fall for it very easily. But... <laughs> How many questions you got today? Uh, I'll probably do two. Maybe we'll add a add a third one in there if uh, I think of something. But um, so growing up in, or I guess kind of starting your comedy career in Seattle is, um, I guess most people usually start out in like a smaller town, I guess, and then Seattle would almost be like a bigger place that they would want to move to for comedy. Um, did that like help you at all, or was it more competitive, kind of starting in that environment? Um, I think that Seattle is a great medium-sized city where, um, you know, this this might have changed with COVID and stuff, but, you know, there was a point where you could get up every single night if you wanted to, either at a mic or a show, um, or have, you know, maybe multiple shows a night um, and double dip somewhere. So I think it's great because you can get stage time without it being like, you know, having to pay to get on a show or, you know, having to really work to get that stage time where it's so competitive that it feels impossible. So I think I'm really lucky that I started in Seattle. Um, and it's, you know, it's definitely like kind of a little bit of a, a, a bubble or a certain type of scene, but that's true of any scene. Mm-hmm. So I really like it. It's been, I think, so helpful for me and it's helped me grow tremendously in maybe a quicker amount of time than it would be if I immediately started in a big city. Um, but yeah, I can totally see this being the city that people want to move to, to start comedy. I've had a lot of friends do that. And I think I was just lucky because I was born and raised here. So. Yeah, that's cool. Um, we kind of talked about SNL a little bit, but if you like could write or like what other kind of comedic shows or, uh, mo- or I guess, yeah, more TV shows and stuff do you kind of like look up to or really like or kind of like um, kind of style your writing after a little bit? Yeah, I I would love to be in a writer's room for a half hour comedy and, you know, maybe even like act in it and have a character that I wrote come to life on screen. Um, I really, really enjoy like that side of the creative process of like developing ideas and, and writing and that whole thing. I really love shows also that maybe don't like beat you over the head with the comedy necessarily. Like I loved Insecure. Um, I also really like weird shows like Nathan for you on Comedy Central, which feels like it's not written, but it, you know, there is a writing side to it. Like those are like my favorite things. So um, I don't know. I, I, I hope one day I can write for TV or film. That would be kind of another really, really big goal of mine. <laughs> but again, one that re- would take my focus away in some ways from stand up. Yeah. So less of like sitcom shows and more kind of... Um like skit based shows, I guess, kind of. Yeah. I like the skit based shows and I like the shows that kind of, um, you get to watch 
the characters kind of grow through their life instead of like a sitcom with a laugh track or something like that. Like that, that's not really as much my vibe, although I did love shows like that growing up. <laughs> so um, I, I just like, I would really love to, to write on a show where the biggest piece of it is developing the, the main characters. Gotcha. Well, that was, uh, that was my questions. So more of a Portlandia. Those are really good. He comes up with good ones. Yeah, I do love Portlandia. Yeah. Those are good questions. Do either of you guys watch uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia? You know, I don't. I've seen like a few episodes, but a lot of people have recommended that show to me. So maybe I'll have to start it. Yeah, I've just been on a, I've been on a kick recently because they just came out with like a new season or whatever. But it's a, yeah, super funny show. But it's like kind of like that, I guess, where it's like, the comedy like yeah. they don't really make jokes that are funny it's more like the concept of the show is funny like whatever the bigger theme for that episode is that's what's funny it's not really like they say anything that's really funny but uh are they uh, like th- there's a new season like that show's still going <laughs> yeah they're it's the longest running sitcom in history apparently now by season what? not by, by episode number. not by episode number but by oh. se- they have the most seasons of any sitcom because yeah. they only do like seven episodes a year now seven or ten yeah Oh, okay, okay. That makes sense. I was like, I didn't. I thought that show just like ended or something. Maybe yeah, because there's such long stretches. Yeah, and I watched the new season, things. and there was only like seven episodes, and I was kind of like, oh, that's it. Like I was kind of disappointed, but yeah, yeah. But, but see, I feel like because that show gets compared to like a newer version of Seinfeld a lot, and like mm. I feel like Seinfeld is one of those shows you could take the laugh track out, and Seinfeld would still work. Not which doesn't for a lot mm. of multicam shows. But I feel like Seinfeld yeah. is so absurd that Seinfeld, if you took it out, because they did the reunion on the uh, on the Curb Your Enthusiasm, and I still feel like all their their premises still worked without a laugh track. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could see you. I could see you being a, a new a new Elaine Bennis. Oh my god! Like a, like I, a Bosnian version. I live and die for julia louis dreyfus like she to me is everything like even if you don't like seinfeld like you have to know that she's one of the best comedic actresses to live of all time she's everything she won an emmy for all three of her sitcoms for seinfeld the new avengers of old christine and for veep Yes, and I've seen all of them. <laughs> like she is incredible to me. It's just like she's unbelievably funny. So the main question though is did you watch her her bomb of a show watching Ellie that was on for like a year and a half? Uh, I don't think I what was that on? It was on NBC. So it was a year it was like 2 years after Seinfeld ended. Go to YouTube. It, it's a uh yeah, it was a mess. They uh, they retooled it a few times, and Steve Carell was in it as well before The Office. So that kind of tells you timeline. Oh, wow. Was it a spinoff or something of, of her character, or was it just a random thing that they tried to like shoehorn her in? Yeah, no, it's called Watching Ellie, and I think the first season, each episode was like thirty minutes of her life, which they realized mm. didn't work because of commercials. So it was like twenty-two minutes. It was just a it was it was bad. And then the second season, they yeah. tried to make it more yeah. like a regular sitcom. And by that point, it was it was too late. The show had just yeah. dudded. Yeah, it's swing and a miss. You know, but that, that happens to, like, 
I feel like that happens to the best folks. Like even John Mulaney's show was so bad. Oh my God. Like, I don't think it worked. Did you watch him on Saturday Night Live a few weeks ago when he referenced, when he referenced the sitcom? Yeah. And I mean, he's hilarious, but that show was terrible. Like it was, it was probably one of the worst seasons of a show I've ever seen in my life. And I kept watching thinking it would get better because it, it seemed like a Seinfeld. He did this stand up at the beginning of the show. He had his group of friends and had Martin Short, all signs for success. And it was like the worst, the worst. Yeah, it was like, oh, here are all these great ideas and people that can be on this project. And it's just like they were trying to use premises that he's already told in other jokes, like the set was bad, the timing, the la- it was just everything was wrong. Yeah. Um, we're going to no segues, no segues here. Um, yeah. Every episode we do our patent pending patented pop quiz. It's uh, it's five rapid fire questions. We have a team of independent fact checkers. So (laughs) (laughs) if you, if you get this wrong, basically I, I would become Seattle's hottest rising, uh, female comedian which um there's a few seattle comics that i still know that probably would not would not like me to come back to the seattle area so you better win (laughs) all right i'm ready i'm ready all right question number one who was the most inspiring female comedian when you were when you were growing up and why Oh man, when I was growing up, I really did love Ellen. I know that's like controversial now, but I really like remember listening to her jokes and being like, I don't know anybody who does comedy the way Ellen does. Um, I also really liked some of Lily Tomlin's jokes, although I I think that's like much older than uh, when I was first getting into comedy. But when I was kind of discovering stand-up, I really, really liked a lot of her bits. Um, But yeah, definitely Ellen. Like I just, that's, uh, to me, it was, her voice was so different and unique and really refreshing. All right. One for one. Question number two. What was, so we know, usually the question is, where was your first time doing stand-up? We know that now. Question number two. What was the first joke you said in that set? Oh, my gosh. So I think that this was the first one. It might have been the second one. But the first one was, and I still tell this one sometimes, um, it was basically about dating in Spain because I studied abroad in Spain and how I couldn't tell if the guys were talking to me or their dogs on the street. And I won't give away the punchline, but that was basically the premise. Okay, that checks out. (laughs) <laughs> two for two and they're t- and they're telling me it was the dog they're talking to the dog we just actually mm-hmm. pull up the tape from her first set ever that she has no idea that was filmed travis worked for nbc <laughs> that's the-, <laughs> the room yeah yeah uh question number three who is one comedian you want to open for that you haven't opened for yet and why my dream 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 
dream of all time would be to open for Chris Rock. Like that to me, he's probably my favorite standup of all time. Um, And he was the first comedian I remember watching and like memorizing his jokes and like retelling them to like my dad or my friends. Um, And to this day, he's to me, one of the most incredible comics. All right. You're acing it so far. Woohoo! I think I need to throw a curveball in, one that she won't answer. (laughs) Who is your favorite comic currently in Seattle and why? Ooh, um, that's tough because I have a lot of them. Um, You can do two or three. We'll give you that. Yeah. I, I love my friend Chris Mejia. He, his style of comedy to me is probably one of my favorites because he kind of storytells and and interweaves some kind of ridiculous premises in there. Um, my friend Alyssa Yeoman as well. I just think her voice is so different from you know a lot of uh, stand-ups that I've seen, and I a lot of the jokes that Alyssa does, I don't see anybody else kind of doing the same premises Mm -hmm. so I really enjoyed that um there's so many I feel like I'm afraid to leave anyone out but I'll say Chris and Alyssa for Mm -hmm. sure all right so you're four for four question number five what was the best advice you've been given in comedy and who was it from oh man that's also a tough one um I, you know, it's funny because a lot of the times the way that the advice kind of comes up is more so that it's like, I'll be venting about someone and then someone will just be like, it's okay. (laughs) This is just hard. And it's like, you have to put yourself out there and, and it's tough. Um, but one of my friends is kind of, you know, I was just really not enjoying stand-up at the end of last year, kind of beginning of this year, I was just really struggling. I had a lot going on. It'd been a while since shows were happening and then things were finally coming back. And then it was like COVID spikes and then everything shuts down again. And so it was just like a really um, difficult and frustrating time to perform and also a confusing time. Um, and I just also started to feel like my ambitions with comedy were changing from when I first started, which was also kind of a a thing I needed to confront. And, um, one of my friends was just like, it's okay to take a break Mm -hmm. and to like, if you're not enjoying it, like just live your life. And I think that it's so hard because comedy is such a hustle culture and it's so much about perception and, you know, always being on the grind and stuff like that. And for someone to just be like, it's okay. <laughs> like everyone goes through this shit was kind of refreshing. So, um, I would say that would, that's not like even the, like maybe direct advice for how to do comedy, but just like how to take a break from Mm -hmm. comedy so that you don't go crazy. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. All right. You got all five, right? You're still Seattle's reigning top new. Hell yeah. (laughs) Um, What's been kind of the, the best thing you think you've gotten out of comedy in your six, seven years or five, not counting the pandemic? 
Uh, honestly, I think for me, it's been confidence. Like, I know that sounds weird, but I just, to me, I feel like, so like myself on stage in a way where I don't feel that in any other avenue of my life. Um, and I mean, yeah, you have, you have bad shows or shows where you bomb or things like that. But for me, pursuing something creatively has just brought me this newfound confidence and, you know, challenging myself in that way has just helped me grow tremendously and become more self-aware as well. So yeah, that, I mean, that sounds like a weird answer, but it's definitely that piece. I think it's, I mean, especially, um, like I always talk to my female comedian friends, you know, I think it's, uh, I wouldn't want to be a female comedian, uh, these days, you know, with, with the way the, the world is. Uh, so I feel like confidence is, is key in, in comedy, especially, you know, because uh, I'm sure you hear tons of things once you get off stage with, you know, men and audiences. And um, I had a few female comics that have been on the podcast that, you know, that that get cat called after shows and and all that, um, which I know can can kill some self-esteem. So confidence is, is probably probably one of the best pieces of advice I could see. Yeah. I mean, it's also like, I don't know, just being a woman in, in comedy, it's like one of those things where it's like, okay, like, you know, whatever, or, you know, sick of talking about it. But then on the other hand, it's also like, yeah, it is just true that it's harder for us in a lot of ways. So um, to be like going out and, and doing shows and a lot of the times you're the only woman on the show or whatever it is, it's like, you just kind of, you know, get to observe a lot of interesting behavior for sure yeah um i bet um we always turn it around at the end of the show have the guests ask me a few questions the last few weeks i've been called out a lot so hopefully you have some good ones uh so whenever you're ready take it away okay and well the first one is kind of a game so this is going to be kind of a little bit tougher for you but i recently heard about this game so i want to throw it back to you um so basically uh imagine your trip and finals with you there's a monkey a lion a horse a cow and a lamb and you have to make uh five stops along the way and every stop you have to get rid of an animal until you're left with one so what would be uh, the first animal you would get rid of and what would be the last one that you keep? Okay, hold on. Go over. I got to write this yes. down now. Got to yes. give some notes because you, you threw a lot of animals at me. What were the, what were the five <laughs> yeah. animals again? So there's a monkey, a lion, a horse, a cow, and a lamb. And which would I get rid of first and which would be the would last? You keep? Okay. Oh, I, I, I'd get rid of the monkey first. I don't I don't see any purpose of having a monkey. I would. Okay. <laughs> I think the horse would be my last one because it would get me the furthest. So, I mean, I could ride a horse mm-hmm. the whole way to the destination. Yeah. And then I'm probably going to, like in between, I'm probably going to eat the cow and the lamb for food. Yeah, <laughs> and keep the lion. Well, and then the lion will get me other food and then kill the lion and ride the horse to the, the final destination. 
I love that. Um, well, I got I got rid of the monkey as well first, and I kept the horse till the end. Okay, so and there- basically oh. each, each of the animals represents a different aspect of your life. So Ooh. a monkey represents children. <laughs> yep. Okay. Fair. <laughs> Which makes sense for me. I don't want kids. I don't know about you, but that, that I was just like, I don't see any purpose for that. Um, and then, uh, the lion represents pride, which was the second thing I got rid of. Um, because I just don't really, I thought the lion would like eat the other animals or Mm -hmm. something. Um, the cow represents wealth. (laughs) <laughs> which I love that you killed that halfway through. Aww. Um, and then the lamb represents love. And then the horse is your career or your passions. Oh, which I think is for creative people. Uh-huh. Yeah. And see, I'm very yeah. single. So the, the, yeah. So the love thing. Yeah. Makes, that makes there you sense. go. <laughs> yeah. Kill the love. Watch it die. Yeah. That was a good one. That was a good one. I, yeah. I think that might've been one of the most thought, okay. thought provoking ones so far. Good. I'm glad. The The second one I will segue to, I know we just played a game, but uh, going off of that, um, I know you like obviously do your podcast and, you know, I've talked about, you know, your talk show and stuff like that. How do you feel about the current state of talk shows and their formatting? Because I do feel like I've he- heard a lot of criticisms of especially late night being just like people playing games or weird like celebrities coming on and doing like weird kind of bits and stuff like that. Do you like that? What's your take on that? Is there stuff you would change? So that's that's a that's a long question for a, a, I'll try to shorten the answer. Um, yeah. From a business standpoint, so if I was the president of NBC, ABC, or CBS late night programming, I get what they're doing because they want those those viral clips. You know, viral clips equals ad revenue, so that's how they make their money. Do I like them? No. Um, I think James Corden, I think does it kind of the best. Um, you know, the spill your guts or fill your guts is one of the funniest, mm-hmm. I think, recurring segments on late night TV. And who doesn't like carpool karaoke? I mean, that's, yeah, that's a blast. But I think you lose a lot of, cause back in, not that I was alive then, but back when Carson was on the tonight show originally was 90 minutes. He would mm-hmm. squeeze five guests in 90 minutes. And he did do sketches and stuff, but that was, you know, 10, 15 minutes of the 90. Um, mm-hmm. I think the, the state of late night is you're, you're losing a lot of kind of the conversations. It's, it feels a lot f- more fake than it used to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And no yeah. disrespect I, to... I, I, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, especially since like Letterman days where he was kind of like revered for kind of taking celebrities down a peg and stuff, which Mm. like take that as you will. But um, it's definitely less conversational. I think Conan was one of the last great ones that was very conversational. No disrespect to Jimmy Fallon. Uh, Jimmy Fallon's a talented guy, but his his interviews just seem so forced and so fake. Yeah, I yeah, Conan's my favorite by a mile, mm-hmm. by a mile. And I'm not I'm not a huge Seth Meyers fan um of at least in talk show format. Um and you know, I think that talk shows are just changing now too. Like you said there's like Drew Barrymore, Kelly Clarkson now. Honestly, Wendy Williams might be one of the best hosts. <laughs> and she's over. She ended her show's ending. 
yeah and I mean she was just a who um but yeah it's definitely the whole kind of landscape is changing my dream job would would is to host a talk show I've said that many times but I think it'd be more yeah. a combination um I don't think I don't, he did yeah. it did it well but Steve Harvey his like third or fourth incarnation he's had like eight different talk yeah. shows but the last one he did before it got canceled was uh it was like a late night talk show during daytime mm-hmm. um, yeah I you know who's I loved that got canceled too was George Lopez I think he's a phenomenal interviewer and I think it was underrated yeah and then the whole Conan thing kind of rubbed me the wrong way with George. There's a few things about George Lopez I'll, I'll message you later that I probably shouldn't say because he's really famous and probably could get me. You know. <laughs> he's listening right now. He is. He's my number one listener in the Latino market. Yeah. <laughs> okay, ready for your next one? Yes. Hey, this is one of my favorite questions that I was asked once, so now I'm going to pass it over to you. Um, what was your favorite song during the hardest time in your life? Oh, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, since we don't know each other that well, it, this one might surprise you more than it would surprise like my friends. Uh, it's uh, I Go Back by Kenny Chesney. Mm-hmm. It's, I know you're a country music fan. And you've done your research. Okay. I have. I wanted to nardwar this interview. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed. Not many of the, the, the comedians that I don't know that will do this must research. Uh, but yeah, no, I was a huge Kenny Chesney fan. Um, there was a point when I lived in Spokane. Um, I was in a car accident and uh, I had trouble walking on my right side. And uh, that song helped me a lot, kind of got me back into retrospective, like what, you know, the happiest times, um, you know, during high school and early parts of college. And uh, yeah, uh, it, it's a song I listen to all the time when I need a little bit of a pick me up. It's crazy how songs hold memories and feelings mm-hmm. like that. Like I'll turn a song on and it'll just take me back to that place immediately. So I wrote, and it'll never happen because I'm a nobody, but I wrote an anthology series I forgot the title of it, but basically it's, um, it always starts with a family in a car changing the radio station and then a popular song comes on and then it's an anthology that segues to like a memory of, of somebody. Why that's that song. I love memory. that. Music rights. That's would, such a great. It'd be way too expensive to produce because of music rights, but it's, it's an idea I had. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. What's your, what's your song? The your answer to that question man i i have a few i think the last time i answered this question though um i was thinking about just like you know some some people when they're uh sad they want to listen to happy music i am not that way i want to cry i want (laughs) to be mad i want to feel the emotion fully um and there's one uh taylor swift song that's i think I think from her album Red, um, and it it was a duet with Gary Lightbody, and I think it's called The Last Time, mm. but there's something about that duet that just, like, really makes me feel so many things, <laughs> and I don't know why that is, um, but I don't, I think it, it wasn't, like, a single or anything either, so I think a lot of people don't know that song, but it, it really is a phenomenal song. Are you a Swifty? Um, I, 
I would say I was a really big fan of like her first three albums. And then I kind of like, you know, was sort of like, eh, and I, and I haven't listened to like the last, I guess, four albums. <laughs> so I, maybe a former. Okay. So my claim to fame is she MySpaced me before her first album came out. Oh my God. That's so funny. So like, that- uh, was it like a pre-curated message or was she like, what was the message? You know, I get that question a lot. I'll send you the picture of it. I think part of it might have been, but there was definitely parts in there you could tell they probably just added stuff in. Could have been from her manager. Either way, yeah. it was from her official page because um, the station's not there anymore, but KMPS, which was huge in Seattle, um, the country station, they had all these shows of upcoming artists, and Taylor Swift had one right when Tim McGraw came out in Puyallup. Mm-hmm. Nobody came because it was raining. <laughs> so, I, yeah. so I MySpace <laughs> messaged her. Yeah, so I messaged her saying, hey, because that was one of the first songs that tagged the radio station. It was like, when you turn KMPS on, or if you were in Spokane, when you turn Coyote Country on, they get tagged the station you were mm-hmm. listening to in the song. So I asked her about that, mm-hmm. and, I, and I got that response. So I don't know who it was, whether it was her, her management. Yeah. But she MySpace me. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Claim to fame. Claim, Claim to, to fame. fame. <laughs> um, as we wrap up, let people know, um, do you have any shows coming up in the next month or two that you want to plug? Yeah, the biggest show is April 7th um, at the Hereafter, which is in the new Crocodile venue in Seattle. I'm putting on a show featuring all immigrants and children of immigrants. So that's going to be really exciting. Um, And part of the proceeds will go towards kind of helping Ukrainian refugees and uh, with relief funds there. So come to that. I'm very excited about it. Um, You can buy tickets online. Um, and yeah, check out my satire blog, The Foreigner. That's awesome. And also, where can they find you? I know you're one of the few. I talk about this every week. You're on Twitter. I love it. Uh, Travis, don't say anything. <laughs> I actually got banned on Twitter uh, la- two weeks ago. I'm appealing it, and I'm I'm very upset. Uh, Travis did knows. What did you do? They said it was for spam or manipulation, so I just launched a Patreon because um, to help try to fund the podcast, and I, I shared it three times in 24 hours. I know people share things way more than three times in 24 hours, uh, but apparently, yeah, apparently, weird rules. Sure. Well, I bet you also someone reported it as spam, which is so stupid. I mean, the the former president said a lot more things, and he was on for a lot longer. <laughs> I need my page back, yeah, Twitter. Yeah. I've been on Twitter since 2009. I need it back. You need it. You have to have it. Um, um, I, yeah, I get, yeah, I love Twitter. I'm mostly on Twitter and Instagram at Ariana Ramick, A-R-I-J-A-N-A-R-A-M-I-C. So yeah, that's where you can find me. Perfect. I, I appreciate so much for you coming on. Uh, like I said, been a big fan of yours for the last few years since I've seen all your your stuff on, on YouTube. So hopefully someday we can do a show together. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And thank Travis and the studio. All right, guys, we will see you next time. Thank you to uh, Ashley and Jen again for uh, and uh, Alexandria for subscribing to the Patreon. And we will see you next time on uh, Hey, What's Up? The podcast. <laughs>